All right. Uh, our church is about 100,000 people uh, all around the world. And there are about uh, 655 churches uh, represented in that number, 100,000 people. And um, I think we're literally in every country uh, around the world. So I want to welcome those that are visiting with us from different parts of the world and different parts of the United States as well. We always get people visiting, and you're, you're, you are very uh, welcome uh, to be here today. It's been a busy week. Uh, Lena and I uh, celebrated Nicole's graduation from Culver High School, and we've been through a lot of parties uh, lately. Last night was uh, Chandler's party. That was great. And a little hula. And if you took a picture of me doing a hula, I want to encourage you to go ahead and delete that uh, from your phones right away. And, and by all means, please do not put it online or anything like that. Um, so as Nicole was graduating, I was thinking about our next student, and that's Gabby, and that's Alaya there. And uh, they represent the class of 2030. So I got a few more years to plan there. You know, um, it is sobering uh, when we talk about Jennifer's passing. You know, she's very young uh, at age 46. Uh, she leaves behind two daughters and a husband. And yet we rejoice inside as well to know that uh, she is with God in heaven, that she fought the good fight. And that's really what it's all about. We're not guaranteed how many days we have left here on, on earth. And with the time that we do have, what are we doing with that? What is the most important thing to do? You know, we have so many things in our lives. Graduation, uh, we move on to the next stage and the next step in our lives. But really, whatever stages that is in life, really the underlying purpose, the underlying really reason for us to be here is to seek God and to know God. There's really nothing else. You know, for Jennifer, her, her career is over, right? Her nursing career. All the studies that she did, all the credentials that she got, those things don't mean anything anymore. And the only thing that matters right now is that she knew God. She knows God. She knows who she, he is and her purpose, his purpose for her life. And I want to ask us a question today. Is that something that really is on the top of our minds every day, making sure that we know God, making sure that we keep that relationship uh, really fresh, growing, and, uh, and up front in our priorities. You know, the title of our lesson today is, uh, based on the scripture, it says, lead me to a rock that is higher than I. You know, lead me to a rock that is higher than I, that the psalmist here uh, really wanted to know, like, you know, get me out of myself and the ruts and the patterns of my life. And like Martin says, I appreciate what he shared. I mean, I like high school, but, you know, when it was time to go, it was time to go. It was time to move on. It was time to, to go to the next level, uh, a rock that is higher than I. Spiritually, that's what the psalmist was talking about. He said, man, let me really get going here. Let me break out of that trajectory. Let me break out of that orbit. Let me break out of that gravitational pull and lift me to a place that I've never been before. You know, 48 years old, I think about that a lot. You know, time is getting shorter. You know, I, go to, I went to my doctor the other day, and he, uh, he noticed something, and he, he, uh, 
prescribed some medicine that uh, I haven't told Lena yet, but uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's boating medicine. I'm like, what? And I don't like to take medicine, so he prescribed it to me anyways. So I gave him to my brother and just to see how it works. And if it works, I'll go back and I'll get it. So I called him. I said, hey, I got some meds for you. Um, but we're getting older. You know, things are falling apart. We're trying to glue things back together and just to keep it together, right? But uh, at this age, you know, I, I know that the physical body is falling apart. But I need to develop the inside. So that when the outside is falling apart, there's got to be something that's attractive, right? I don't want to be a grumpy old man, you know, growing up, older, and just be mad at everything. It takes a lot of work to get close to God, to know God, and to be like that. Lead me to a rock that is higher than I. You know, in Genesis chapter 15, if you look at the life of Abram, there was a series of tests, if you will, that God called him to. In Genesis 12, he was called to leave his country. It was a very comfortable place at that time. And to go to a place he didn't know about. So he went. And he's wandering around the desert. He's wandering around the wilderness. And he was given another test. And that test was to rescue his, his, his nephew and go out and, and fight these guys. And he went out and he fought these guys. And he came back victorious. And the king whom he rescued said, listen, Abram, I'm going to give you everything that you want. Just let me keep my people so I can still be a king. And Abram says, no, I don't want anything from you. Because I don't want anyone to say that it was you that made me. It was you that made me rich. It was you that made me wealthy. I want all the credit to go to God. And as God saw his heart, and saw his reasoning, and saw his thought. This is what God said. God was so fired up, just as all the parents were of their, you know, graduates, whether high school or college or grad school. God looked at Abram and says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And how would you like for God to say this about you or me? He says, Abram, don't be afraid. I am your shield, your very great reward. You see, sometimes we give up things in our lives, right? And we look back and we go, man, was it worth it? Abram must have thought about it. says, man, I gave up a lot. The king of Sodom, I think it was, said, listen, I'm going to give you everything. I mean, you're set up for life. Your retirement fund is set up. You know, you got plenty of gold to go around for many years to come. And Abram made that decision to leave it. And maybe he was having some doubts about his future as he was wandering around just like us. And God says, do not be afraid. Not only am I going to give you stuff to take care of you, God says, beyond that, God says, I'm going to give you the privilege and the honor of having a personal relationship with me. And Abram became the father of three, not only one, but three major faiths that are still in existence today. Number one, obviously, is Islam. Number two is Judaism. And number three, he's the father of our faith as well, Christianity. You know, when God makes you a promise, he's good on it. He's not, he's, not, he's not one of these guys that will take back the promise. Now, the only way we lose that is if we forfeit that. The Bible says that those who cling on to worthless idols, little things, 
forfeit the grace that could be ours. Now, it doesn't mean that once God gives us, it's not irretractable. It is, we, we can forfeit it. I mean, it's not God's fault. It's our fault. God says to Abram, says, listen, I'm going to be your shield. I'll take care of you. Don't worry about all that stuff. I'm going to be your friend. I'm going to watch over you. You see, those are the great men and women of the Bible. Men and women that were not religious, but men and women that strove to know their God. It goes way beyond, guys, reading, you know, having a quiet time. It goes beyond just having accountability on, hey, did you pray today? It goes way beyond that. It's a deep search. It's the only search that you can't do on Google. You've got to be in it. You can't just punch in. You've got to be in it day in and day out. And God says, I will be your great reward. Can you command? What, what do you think about that? It says, I graduated from this school. I graduated from that school. I did this. I got this credential. I know this person. I know that person. What about God is my friend? God is my shield, and he is my reward. You know, Jeremiah chapter 31, as we move on in the Bible, they took a few knocks, the people of Israel. They became a people, and they sinned against God. And God says, listen, I'm going to do a new thing too. I'm going to lift you up to a rock that you've never been before. He says in verse 1, he says, At that time declares the Lord... I will be a God of all the families of Israel. They will be my people. Not just you, Abraham, but everybody. I want all people to be my people. He says, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant was written on two tablets. The covenant was written on two tablets of stone. God says to Jeremiah, says, Jeremiah, listen, the time is coming. It's going to come soon. Now forget about the stone. Forget about all that stuff. It's going to be written in a very special place. It's going to be written in people's hearts. That deep down inside of us, there's an inclination to search out for the things of God. It's inside of us, that desire. It's inside of us, uh, that, uh, that, that knowledge, that inclination. I think the question is, do we really want to inculcate? Do we really want to really develop that side that God has put in our hearts? We all have choices to make. What priorities to, to have in our lives? But the Bible says it's in our hearts, the laws and the thoughts of God. It's our job to pull that out. It's our job to really develop those things. In verse 34, it says, No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to each other, Know the Lord, because they will not know me from the least to the greatest. You see, for many years, this scripture has really, really um, been suppressed. Because for many years, there, there have been religious orders that have said, well, the people, really, they're just dumb. They, and, and they deserve to be treated like that. You know, we will prevent them from having the scriptures, and it's only the leaders that have scriptures, right? And then we will interpret it for them. 
And it was a really nice little, little arrangement because the leaders had the power and then the people were given an excuse to be lazy and not, not to really dig deep into God's Word. And that was systematic for many, many years until there were people that were brave enough to translate the Scripture to their detriment. These people, the initial, look through a study on people that translated the Bible from the Greek to the English and, and all that stuff to the Latin. They were persecuted because these people in power still wanted that because it was a sense of control. But God says what? God says from the least to the greatest. I want them to know me and have a relationship with me. That's what this is all about. It's a relationship with God. It's a relationship with our Creator and really knowing who He is. I'm just pretending. I, it's all in the notes down here. I'm just pretending like I'm, I have a script. I'm just kidding. In verse, uh, knowing God, that's our title for today. It's so important to know God's heart, isn't it? Because sometimes there's a lot of stuff that are going on and we just don't, we don't know where it's going. But it's really important to know someone's heart because when you know someone's heart, it, it tells you the direction of where things are going to be heading. In Psalms chapter 23, he says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. That's a powerful man. That's power right there. You know, when I was in uh, Asia, I did a little scuba diving. And um, the thing about scuba diving is this, that the stud of the group is not the one you got to tank. Everybody starts off with the same amount of air, right? You go down together. It's either 40 minutes to an hour. depends on how deep you go. Okay? You travel in packs for safety. And there's always a moment of truth when you come up and you surface. Well, the great scuba divers are the ones that uses the least amount of air. That they don't panic. They don't, they're not sucking up all the air. You know. Uh, but it's the guy that go down there that is just like, just, oh my gosh, you know, they got all the big fishes and stuff like that. And they just get so nervous and, and they just use up all the air. So that when that, the least... Um, the, the one that uses up all the air, well, everyone has to go up. So there's a moment of truth when you all surface is when you check the amount of air in each person's tank. You don't want to be the guy that sucks up all the air so that everyone has to surface. You see, the studs are the guys that uses the least amount of air. They control their breathing and they control their mind and their thoughts. It's kind of a little bit like this. The voice is, I lack nothing. It's the people that go, you know what, I got God. That is enough for me. He is my shield and my rock, and he is the one that's going to lead me to a rock that is higher than I. You see, in the summer months, we're going to do some church building in, on, on the west side. And uh, we're going to learn first principles. It's going to be entitled, simple, Making Disciples. We're going to talk about church and really what, how to do church. What is church? And how do we function in the church? What, what is our role in the church? It's totally revolutionary. 
It's not just me, you, church, divide. It's everyone doing church together. And it's not just Sunday morning. Doing churches every day. Getting in our communities. Seeing what God has given us. And we have a great place. I really feel that way, that God has given us a pleasant place on the west side. Guys, this is a happening place. Silicon Beach is here. Hollywood is right down the street. We live right next to, to Sony Studios. The computer industry is moving down. Google just bought a, a, a big chunk of land down in Playa del Rey. We got all kinds of stuff here. We got great universities here. We have great, you know, singles ministry. I mean, this is it. If you were single, if I was single, this is where I want to be. This is, this is it. This is the Mecca of the singles. I mean, they're like, they're, they're coming here. And I guarantee you, in the future, more and more will flock here. We've got to get ready. We've got to get ready. But how do we get ready? Great programs, great prisons. No. The Lord is my shepherds. I lack nothing. When the British was challenged, this great British empire, you know how great the British Empire was? They said that there is no sun that sets on the British Empire. That was the extent of the great British Empire. They said anywhere around the world, I mean, the sun never set on the great British Empire until one little man challenged that notion. His name was Mahatma Gandhi. He was about five foot three or five foot four, and he weighed about 110 pounds. Depends if he was fasting or not. Okay. And he walked around and he challenged the conscience of these great overlords. And you know what they said about him? They said, this guy needs nothing. He needs nothing. He doesn't have an army. He doesn't have a gun. He doesn't have political... He has no office. But you know what they said about him? He's a dangerous man. He's a dangerous man. That's what needs to be said about each one of us here. We're dangerous. We should be people who walk around with swagger, guys. I'm telling you. We should be swaggering. Is that a word? I don't know. We should. And with all humility. We should have a confidence about us. Even though we're going through stuff. Even though we're going through stuff. The Lord is my shield. I appreciate Ray and all jokes aside. He shares that because he's confident. He shares that because it is not fatal to fail. In the church, this is where we fail. This is where we're open. This is where we get help. This is where we can walk in the lights as he is in the light so that we can be confident, not hiding anything. That's how you're confident. That's how we're confident. We're walking the light. This is who I am. I don't have to hide anything to be loved. Right? We should. I'm telling you. We, we, we should be really walking around and, you know, with the most confident of people. I lack nothing. I don't need anything to make me happy. Yes, there are some comforts that I need to, to live on to, to sustain and sustenance. But really, really, I lack Nothing. And this psalm was written, actually, according to some commentaries, that he was, it was written by David when he was running away from his son Absalom in the wilderness. 
It wasn't like all peachy and stuff like that, right? It's easy to say, I lack nothing when you have everything. It's hard to say, I lack nothing when you have nothing. You know, God is enough. God is enough. There you go. It says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He, lead me, he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. You ever had a bad day? You go and you pray to God. You change your mind. And you come out and you go, Hmm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm good. Read the Psalms. That's what, that's what it's all about. There are only like two psalms that, you know, he ends out really like, oh man, I'm going to go hurt somebody. I mean, but most of it, he, he does pretty good. At the beginning, he says, I want to hurt somebody. But at the end, he says, okay, God, you hurt them for me. I'm doing good. <laughs> he wrestles through his relationship with God. He refreshes my soul. This is powerful stuff. This is, this is the essence of our relationship with God that we're not so needy. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. Point number two. He says, uh, What no eye has seen, uh, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him. He leads me beside quiet waters. But more than that, the Bible says what? He says that in the future, in the future, we all have a date with destiny, our death, in the future, God says, I can't even tell you what I have prepared for you. And in modern day vernacular, this scripture means, I will blow your mind what you're going to see. He says, what you will see. I can't even describe. I don't even have human words to describe what you're going to see in comparison. And I get this picture that when we go to heaven, we're going to think back, and I don't know how it all works. We're going to think about all the petty stuff that we were struggling over. You know what I'm saying? And we're going to go, man, I wasted so much time. I bet you that's like, I know that's what I'm going to be thinking. I wasted so much time worrying about little things that I didn't really need to. Point number three, we've got to trust in God's plans in this psalm. We've got to trust in God's plans. He guides me besides, uh, he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And get this, it's not easy. It's not easy. And I love the Bible because of just the sheer honesty of scriptures. You see, a lot of people do use the Bible as kind of like an insurance policy or a crux. But that's not so true. Christians are really tough people. Even though I walk through the valley of the dark, uh, the valley of the shadow of death, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. I shared this with the high school students the other day. Even though I, I mean, it's, it's high school is a funny thing. As some of you guys. The eighth graders, you're going to go to high school? It can be a really scary thing. 
It is, you know, the darkest alley or the darkest hallway and all the kids trying to find themselves and they abuse you in the process and all that stuff. And you, as a disciple, walking around shunning this and shunning that, you're going to be called some names. But fear not. You're not alone. The Bible says that God's rod and staff, they comfort you. You see, behind the scene, God is smacking those kids around without you even knowing. He's smacking them around, and uh, they're getting beat up. That's why they're trying to beat you up, you know. Don't worry. You see, that's swagger, right? We need to have a swagger about us. We need to really have a confidence that exudes out of us where people say, hey, man, why are you so confident? Let me tell you why I'm so confident. Because I'm not alone. Even though I walk through, this is the, the verse that I like, you know, the, the, the version, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, the rod and the staff, it's the goats. God points us towards a different direction. He will not shy away from leading us into really some tough situations sometimes. And I think we've got to relish that. Because God is also a very honest person. He says this, If you falter in times of trouble, how small is your strength? If you falter in just little times of like, Oh man, I got a little tough situation. Relish it, God says. Go after it. Because if you want to be led to a rock that is higher than you or me, we got to go through this. Amen? Anybody can see a problem and points out a problem. I've been in ministry for 22 years, full-time, I think around that time. Easy. It's so easy to look at problems. That's what I figured out. When I was in the ministry for the first few years, I was really good at looking at problems. I thought, well, I got a gift. And I realized that everyone has that gift. It's the people with faith that can really solve things with faith. That adds value, not just words. That takes it for where it is at this moment and take it to the next level. That's what we need. That's what we need. Amen? Well, the fellowship, everyone's late. What are we going to do? Well, you make some calls before the night. You going to be on time? I'm watching All of us working together. The special contribution. We realize what, what, you know, what we need to do. Let me do something about this. Bearing fruit. Let me bring some people to church. Let me, let me reach out. Let me make a change. Let me go after this. I've got some relational issue. Let me be the one to initiate. When I was in Manila, I said something against this brother. Manila traffic is awful. I said something against him in public. And he heard about it in a roundabout way. His name is Charlie. I'll never forget this. I lived about, on a good day, no traffic, it's about 20 minutes. On a normal day, it's about an hour, 20 minutes. On a bad Manila day, it's like two hours. He called me on the phone and he says, Ken, listen, I heard that you said this about me. And I felt like, you know... 
I, I, I don't know where you got it. I don't know where, did you hear it from someone else? And can I meet you and talk to you about it? And I'm thinking, sure, maybe a week later. He said, well, actually, I'm, I'm right down the street. I took, I took a cab up. I want to meet you today because your friendship to me means a lot to me. I was like, so I was like, whoa. And I'll never forget that, just, just the value that he placed on my relationship with him, that he was going to go, willing to go through that to come up, talk to me, clarify, and go back. That taught me a lesson about words, talking about people. And especially, you know, just your friends. Right? Guys, we're called to be spiritual beings. We're called to resist and stand strong to have faith. Concerning the salvation, and Peter wrote about this a long time, uh, later on, he says, he says, concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, search intently with, those, with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the suffering of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. He's referring in some part to the Jeremiah passage that we read. Because God says a time will come when I'm going to write all this stuff in their hearts. And Peter was writing about this. He says, it's here. He says, we're searching intently with the greatest of care. Not just human beings searching through the Scripture. But you know who else is searching through the Scripture? Look what it says. Even angels long to look in these things. We have some really smart people in this room. I'm not kidding. I mean... Paul Nakakura, he's the one that lifts up the IQ of the Asian, you know, minority. Not me. I lower it a little bit. Paul helps me out. He, he raises it. You know, we got some, like, really smart people in this room. Bankers. And we got, you know, rocket scientists, literally. Harvard graduates in this room. And, and Ohio State in this room. I'm just kidding, Mark. <laughs> I just saw you. I just saw you. But you know what? These angels, you know how smart they are? And one of them can take out an entire city and all that stuff. The Bible says that the angels long to look in these things. Sometimes we take the word for granted, guys. I'm just saying it, myself included. We're like, you remember that scripture earlier? It says, no longer will somebody says, no God. He's talking about like, no longer we're going to prod each other. Hey, did you have your quiet time? Did you read God's word? He says, somewhere along the line, it's got to become organic and it's become ourselves. And the Bible says that even angels look into these things and look for the fulfillment of God's word. Isn't that amazing? That if angels feel such a need to have their quiet time, if angels have such a great need to shun all the stuff that's going on around the world and look into God's word with intent, how much more so should we? I want to ask you, do you know the order of the Scriptures, New Testament? Do you know the order of the Old Testament? Do you know the general outline of Scriptures? we got to be, become a people of the Word. we got to know. That's how God communicates with us. we gotta, we got to know God's Word so much deeper. Amen? It's got to be in our hearts and in our minds. 
It's got to be in there where we make references to stuff. We're going through stuff. We refer back to it. I haven't had it. We refer back to it to the scriptures written in our hearts and in our minds. Let's close out for Peter. He says, therefore, with the minds, uh, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Now, that word ignorance, it's a, uh, it's a really strong word. It's not talking about natural, you know, competency. It's talking about ignorance, meaning that we choose not to know something. That we have the ability to have knowledge of it, but we really choose not to dig in and find out. That's what that word is. And Peter says, listen, I, I hope that, you know, we're not like that. I hope that we're not living in ignorance anymore, putting that responsibility on someone else where it's really ours to know God, to know God's word. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because God is holy. We're called to be like him. Last point. Doing God's will. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. This is so much good stuff inside that it just overflows. There's so much incredible spirit in us that it overflows. Whether it's reaching out to our friends, our neighbors, whether it's a special contribution, whether it's all these things serving in the kids' kingdom, the Bible says it just naturally over. I want to do it. I want to help. I want to give. And not only do I want to, but I can. You know what I mean? Because sometimes we want to do some great things, but we don't have the power to. So it's all intentions. But not so with us. The Bible says that my cup is anointed with oil and it overflows. Not only do we want to, but we can. We can. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. I'm really excited about what we're going to be doing in the summer. This is the foundation of who we need to be before God. Amen? Thanks so much. Love you guys.